1: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, we're all over the after hours action. Shares of Apple, Amazon and Starbucks, all three stocks on the move right now on earnings. Apple's calls just getting underway. Amazon's kicks off in less than 30 minutes from now. We're dialed in ready to bring you all the big news from the quarters. Plus, Merck topping the tape, the stock popping on the back of strong results. One of our traders says this rally is just getting started. We'll break down that trade later. Facebook goes meta. We're talking the big name change and if it really changes anything for this stock. We start off with an earnings alert on Apple. Shares of the Tech Titan are down after reporting results, down to the tune of three and a half percent right now. Let's get to Josh Lipton for the details. Josh.
2: So Melissa let's get right to the results. Apple reporting Apple reporting Q4 results here of a buck twenty four that is smack in line with expectations. Revenue 83.36 billion versus an estimate of 84.85 billion. iPhone clocked in at 38.87 billion. Services 18.28 billion. Wearables, home and accessories 8.79 billion. Mac 9.18 billion in the quarter. iPad 8.25 billion. Apple does not provide formal guidance at this time. I did have the chance though to catch up with Apple CEO Tim Cook. He talked to me about the supply challenges his company is facing right now. Cook telling me we had a very strong. performance Performance, despite larger than expected supply constraints, which we estimate, Cook told me, to be around $6 billion, driven by the industry-wide chip shortages and COVID-related manufacturing disruptions in Southeast Asia. Now, Cook told me those have actually greatly improved, but I asked him when he thought these chip shortages could could indeed ease, and Cook told me the chip shortages linger on. It is unclear how long it will last. It is complex, and you have to know how the economy is going to be in 2022. You have to know everybody else's demand. We are all competing for chips on these legacy nodes. As for that outlook, Cook told me we expect very solid year-over-year revenue growth, and we expect supply constraints to be greater than the September quarter, so greater than $6 billion. Despite that, we are projecting, Cook told me, very solid year-over-year revenue growth to an all-time record quarter for Apple. And finally, on the iPad and Mac, with students returning to school, employees back to the office, how does Cook see those business segments Good looking ahead. Cook told me both of those have had some major product announcements just like last week with MacBook Pro with the new chips. I think these are game changers. We are, though, he told me, in deep backlog right now. We have a supply constraint to work through. iPad, he told me, is also terribly constrained for the quarter. And so right now, Cook told me, I'm more focused on supply of both of those than the demand. The conference call kicks off right now. Melissa, back to you.
1: Josh, I'm curious, when you spoke to Tim Cook, what the context or what the feeling was surrounding the comment about having to know where the economy is in 2022. It almost sounds like, you know, when the chip short or the supply constraints sort of ease, we don't know how it lines up with the economic cycle. And that's that's sort of a question there.
2: Yeah. So listen, different CEOs have been CNBC see- on BC trying to gauge this bogey when they think the, the shortage could ease. We've had different timelines from different people. Cook is not willing to step into that right now. You know, I flat out asked him, when do you think this could ease? Um, is there a date out there? Is it the first half, second half? Cook simply said too many factors, in his opinion, to make really an honest, legitimate call on that, given the economy, given competitors. So we'll see, though, what he says on the call.
1: All right. We look forward to keeping uh, you keeping us posted. Thank you, Josh. Josh Lipton. Karen Feynman, I will go to you first. How do you interpret mm-hmm. uh, Tim Cook's comments? What do you make of this quarter?
3: I think what you made of the quarter as well will be, is it a, you know, a sale delayed or a sale denied? That's $6 billion, because had they gotten that revenue, that would have been a huge beat. So to me, these are the kind of things that are delayed. And so I think that the stock being down here is a bit of an overaction, not a a ton. But so to me, I thought the quarter was good. I thought, you know, there was even it talked about the iPads beat even being uh, constrained. Uh, obviously, Macs didn't and phones didn't. So I'll be interested to see, hear more what they say about that. But I thought the quarter was fine. We, I mean, I think that it's not a shock that there's supply constraint problems here. So uh, the magnitude of the problems was bigger than I thought. But I also think it you know, talks about, it addresses demand is there. Absolutely. So I'm Long Apple. I'm staying Long Apple. If it trades down any more than it is right now to sort of maybe a 140 handle, I'll probably buy some more.
1: The forecasting is interesting. It's sort of a fine line that he walks when he says that the comp- the supply constraint costs will be greater in the calendar fourth quarter, but still a solid revenue growth is expected year on year to an all-time record. Tim, do you say, you know what, we are poised to be OK in the calendar fourth quarter? Do we really look through this calendar third quarter result?
4: Well, I think you, you look through the results and, and I, we have a massive 5G refresh cycle going on and, and also continued growth in services. You know, 25% plus on services growth year over year. Nothing to sneeze at. Very solid numbers. Uh, something that, you know, if it was two years ago, we would have done cartwheels. So we've expected this on the services side. But this is, you know, this isn't a real big surprise for Apple. Part of this is, the problem is the stock came into this print at all-time highs, effectively. It was up 2.5% today into that print. So uh, the, the, the supply chain disruption conversation, to me, almost similar to what we got last quarter. Great execution, great performance, solid margins, too. And, and I just think this is a case where, again, Vietnam, we heard about. We heard about the, the, the camera module. We heard about some of the things that have been greater disruptions than had been expected. And yes, this was a little bit more. Uh, but this is a case of a company that also, on their capital market side, what they can do in terms of capital give back uh, and where they are in this refresh cycle and their services business company deserves a premium. I, I don't think you run far. Yeah. Jeff? Yeah. You know, I think you have
5: to have a little bit of imagination when thinking about a company like this and lots of companies who are dealing with these supply chain issues. I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon, but I, I think this is sort of a quarter that's not going to be a catalyst in one direction or another morgan stanley put out a note i think it was a week or so ago and they basically said look looking out to 2022 you're going to see strong growth and apple's probably in an advantage from a supply standpoint because they get preferential treatment given their size Um, so i think that's a positive looking forward for them but this quarter probably isn't going to settle the debate in terms of whether they're going to return to the type of growth that investors expect. I think, you know, it's not going to be the type of quarter where the stock gets punished. It was up 2.5% today, so probably giving back maybe a percent of that on net uh, in the after hours. And we all mentioned it. Look, this is a can't-keep-up-with-demand story. So I think, you know, on the positive side, investors are going to give Apple the benefit of the doubt. It's not going to push the stock higher, but they're probably not going to get punished Uh, significantly. You look out in the next year, you have 400 million iPhones that are more than three years old. Tim mentioned it, you know, wearables, only 13% of iPhone owners have a watch. So these are the areas that are ultimately going to catalyze growth going forward. It just might take some time.
1: This stock is about 10 bucks away from its all-time high, Dan Nathan. So what are we really pricing in here as we look to 2022 and see the uncertainty surrounding supply chain at 147 a share?
6: Yeah, it's not a great setup, in my opinion. I mean, listen, I don't think there was anything horrible about the quarter, and I think it re- reminds me, of. remember John Chambers, the former CEO of Cisco, used to say the things that they could control, they controlled well. Well, they they, they do that. They're doing this right now, and we, it, we've we come to expect that um, from Tim Cook. But here's the problem, and Tim mentioned this. The stock is up 10% into the print. It has underperformed the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ's up 20%. It's up 15% of the year now, obviously less than that. And I think the implied guide-down sequence is something that will become a focus here. The stock is trading 27 times. They've already had the re-rating, the benefit of that gross margin bump that we've seen in the last two years from a high you know, 38% or something to 41%. It's also really important to remember when they miss iPhone sales. And I don't believe this is a 5G upgrade cycle. Have you guys checked out the advertising for the 13 Pro? It really is all about that camera. So to me, I don't see that super cycle happening. I don't think that's been good. Going on, but when the installed base doesn't grow, then services. And I know Tim mentioned year over year what services are doing. Um, you know, it's just not going to be a bigger number. Okay, so yes, they've had the benefit of the mix sh- shift, excuse me, and therefore they've had these higher margins. But when you look at expected growth in fiscal 2022 of basically flat earnings, despite all the stock that they buy back, and then really sales that are expected to be up low single digits, I just don't see an argument why you should be paying 27 times for this. I think there are better growth stories out there. I get it, defensible mode, that sort of thing. The last point I'll make is that look at what we have tonight from Amazon and Apple, okay, versus Microsoft and Alphabet a couple days ago. It is this argument about bits versus atoms as it relates to the supply chain issue. And I think that's the thing that sh- that should weigh on the multiple of these two names reporting tonight. Mm.
1: For more on Apple's latest quarter, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster, partner at Loop. Gene, great to have you with us. Do um, you just you just look through it to next year and think you know things are going to get better, and they're eventually going to make every single sale that had been delayed uh, that we've seen so far?
7: For the most part, I think that's accurate. They're going to capture this supply constraint. The way I would like to think of it is 2021 supply pain is 2022 sales gains, and we need to peel back some of the layers here, and if I can uh, briefly do that and use Josh's uh, reporting as uh, my framework for this, I think it was incredibly insightful, his conversation with Tim Cook. And if we apply those comments, I won't go through them line item by line item, but essentially they would have beat by a little bit for the September quarter. They would have guided December, if not for this, uh, to about 124 billion in revenue. The street was at 118 billion. That, uh, I'm using a solid revenue growth number of 5% as as my benchmark there. And so that gets to a 12% year-over-year growth number off some very difficult comps. And so I wanna uh, kind of fast forward, we can get our heads, I can get my head wrapped around the numbers pretty easily in the near term and kind of miss the bigger picture here. But we have a very difficult uh, comp in December, like much more difficult than meets the eye. This is they're comping against the iPhone uh, shift in timing a year ago. Uh, that is their, you know, 50, 60 percent of their revenue. And yet still they're going to have, uh, let's call it 5 percent growth with an increasing supply chain. And what the, the you put all this together, the company is growing, call it 10 uh, percent plus, 10, 12 percent plus. Dan said it right. Most people think next year could be flat-ish. I think street revenue is for like up 4%. But if we take uh, anything away from the results here is that uh, this company, something bigger is going on here. And I've been a long time um, long time positive on what Apple, uh, what their trajectory is. But I think this accelerating digital transformation is significant. It's going to impact all of 2022 and beyond And I think we're going to uh, Apple will ultimately we will be surprised by what their revenue growth is next year. I think it's going to be closer to 10 percent than 4 percent.
1: Gene, there had been some belief that there would be a lower cost iPhone unveiled in the early part of 2022. And I'm wondering for, you know, every iPhone that is delayed in terms of a sale a 13 that's delayed in 21. Could that be down converted to a low cost phone and therefore impact margins and, and mix?
7: What we've seen in the past is when they have uh, kind of tweaked around the ASPs, and typically they do that by taking old iPhones and discounting them, keeping them on on, on sale. And what we see is a continued gravitation higher in terms of the ASPs. And so I think that if they do come out with a new form of an SCA, I don't know if that's going to happen, or not, but if they do... To me, it feels more like expanding the market. And, you know, to say that we're dependent on these devices is an understatement, and I think that people recognize that when they're when they're paying up for these products. And so, I don't see uh, uh, a kind of, I guess, dollars for dimes uh, handoff if they do come out with a lower price phone.
1: All right. Gene, great to get your insights. Thank you. Gene Munster. Of Thank Loop. you. Uh, Apple shares down 3.6 percent, 13 minutes into this call. Let's get to Amazon right now. Shares are sharply lower as well after reporting their results. The company's call kicks off in about uh, 17 minutes time. Debo has been digging in on the numbers. Deidre.
0: Melissa, Amazon shares they are now nearly negative on the year given this after-hour slump. Weighing on the results this quarter, the labor shortage and supply chain disruptions. The company not expecting those headwinds to ease anytime soon either. CFO Brian Olsowski telling me that he is expecting $4 billion in labor and disruption costs in the fourth quarter, and that's doubling from $2 billion in the third quarter. Amazon now has to go out and hire an additional 250,000 workers globally over the next few months for the busy holiday season. In the U.S., it's offering an average starting wage of $18 an hour and signing bonuses of up to $3,000. Amazon says that it will adapt wages and incentives even further to remain competitive if need be. Meanwhile, its core e-commerce, it is under macro pressures and tough pandemic comps, but some bright spots, I want to make sure to mention them, that included cloud advertising and subscription services. Back over to you, Melissa.
1: Thank you, Deidre Bosa, covering Amazon for us tonight. When I saw the headlines crossing and Deidre went through them pretty well, I just thought dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. They're stepping up investments on content. Hiring will be costly. They're going to do everything in their power to, to minimize disruption to customers, which is the right thing to do, but in the short term is, in fact, costly. Another dollar sign there. Tim, what's your take?
4: also coming after a historic fulfillment spend. I mean, so, so what's interesting to me is how the market is holding Amazon, to a bottom line, not a top line. This was a top line story forever, right? This is all you wanted to see. You wanted to see the growth. AWS numbers weren't that bad, by the way. So if, if you think about the cost profile of the company, and yes, uh, those labor numbers are staggering, and it's it's a very difficult labor market for everybody, but particularly on the fulfillment side with Amazon. So um, look, it, it, this is a stock that came into this earnings profile very different than Apple, right? This has been dead money since July of 2020. This is a stock that really has been struggling, and people have certainly been disappointed by the top line also over the last couple quarters, but it's the bottom line here that I think is surprising me because it's a company that should be rewarded for this enormous spend in the areas that I think put them so far ahead of everybody at a time when e-commerce tailwinds are still very good. This is weakness to buy. Uh, And I realize this has been a tough place to hang out while the rest of the the, the NASDAQ world has had a big run, now negative on the year, basically negative on a one-year basis and dead money for for 14 months. But um, Amazon is the biggest e-commerce play in the world at a time when these tailwinds are better than ever and the expectations are so low.
1: We have seen time and time again with Amazon that when they're in spending mode, for whatever reason it is, that investors deem them initially – but then they get rewarded for it. So, uh, Dan, are we in that sort of circumstance right now where we're looking at the short-term cost but longer-term? It really it gives them an advantage.
6: Yeah, I think it does, and I think when you think about those higher wages at $18 and those big signing bonuses, then this comment, Mel, this is really interesting from the press release, and this is Andy Jassy's, this is his second quarter as the new CEO of this company. He says, we've always said that when confronted with a choice between optimizing for short-term profits versus what's best for customers over the long term, we'll choose the latter. When customers hear that, I think they're probably happy about that. When you think about um, some of these people that they have to hire, tens of thousands of them, they're happy about high wages and all these benefits. So, I think they're doing the right things. I think Andy Jassy is going to put his stamp on this company. And so anything that happens near term, he was very specific about using that language in this press release. So I don't think he really cares about whether the stock's $3,400 or $3,100 near term. And I think there's probably going to be some very exciting things that are going to happen. And he will lay out his view or his vision of this company going forward. And all you have to do is think about Tim Cook 10 years ago, uh, Sundar Pichai. um, You know, I mean, the list goes on. Satya Nadella. I mean, Andy Jassy is going to have his moment, so I think there's a lot of investors who would be perfectly happy to see this stock back towards 3000 and continue to be dead money getting through this very difficult period.
1: In a world of constraints at every step of the way from when a product is manufactured to a, when a product gets on the shelf, Karen, if Amazon can differentiate itself by being the one that can deliver product to your door in time for the holiday season and do right by its third-party sellers as well, which is, of course, a big component of the platform, that could really help that business as opposed to some others which might face more problems because they haven't invested the same in their logistics
3: right and they can't they can't afford to invest the same amazon can afford to to spend anything you know i agree with i think just about every single word that dan said including what he thought was the most important thing from the from the release i think that is the most important thing i agree he's not worried about this quarter. I think you know the, the the guide was a little light on the top line, but they 've done that before, guided low. Um, the range is a ten billion dollar range, which I guess for them is not a lot of money, but for others, it would be so I, you know i 'm not overly concerned here; I think we 've seen this cycle again, as you said spend, 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 and then they harvest, and so we have to think, are they good stewards of capital? I think the answer is pretty clearly, yes, they are, so i 'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. The one thing though that 's sort of interesting to me, I did see some chatter about it. Oh, maybe this is the end of the pandemic. Um, maybe a little bit. It's interesting that neither Walmart nor Target were trading down on this. So I don't know if people view this as a, just a idiosyncratic to Amazon. I, I don't know. But I don't think the story is drastically different here. So I, I'm mm-hmm. long. i definitely staying long. And I'll look for a place to add.
1: So, Jeff, what's your take? I mean, as Tim had pointed out, this has basically been dead money, and especially compared to its uh, big cap tech peers, um, it's been pretty much flat the whole entire year. So, why this why this reaction in the stock? Do you think?
5: Well, it's interesting. I went back and looked at some of the previous quarters, and the stock falls fifty percent of the time, even when they beat earnings. So, to see the stock move when they miss maybe shouldn't be terribly surprising to investors just given that history. And I think we've hit on all of the really key points. And I think in terms of the investment cycle, You have to realize, too, and Tim mentioned this, they're doing a lot of investing in physical infrastructure, right? The the last investment cycle was really AWS. I think it was easier for investors to visualize the payout there. So I think there's more skepticism and and at least a a, a patience that is needed from investors to actually see that payoff. But Karen said it. I think Amazon has earned the benefit of the doubt as as a capital allocator. So I think weakness here can be bought. If you look at the the valuation history, uh, price to cash flow kind of at the low end there, I think three times forward price to sales is reasonable. And I do think the point about the holiday season is important. You know, they are the most popular website for shopping during the holiday season, and they've invested heavily to prepare for this. So that does give them a big advantage. And I think the supply crunch may even help them take market share over the next quarter or so.
1: All right. We are just getting started on this very busy night of earnings. Up next, we're all over the after hours action and shares of Starbucks. The stock is under pressure on the back of its results. A call is now underway. We'll bring you the trade straight ahead. Plus, going meta. We will debate what's really in the name as Facebook announces a big makeover. Stay with us. Fast Money back in two.
0: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's
6: all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
8: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share
1: or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere
0: far away?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Starbucks lower after its earnings report. The company's call is now underway. Kate Rogers has been listening, and she's got the details. Hey, Kate.
8: Hey, Melissa. Well, a mixed fourth quarter for Starbucks with a one-penny beat on adjusted EPS, but a slight miss on revenues despite reporting a new record of $8.15 billion for the quarter. comps were also weaker than expected across the board, globally up 17 percent, slightly below estimates. In the U.S., up 22 percent for the quarter, up 11 percent on a two-year stack. This thanks to an increase in both transactions and check sizes. International comps up 3 percent. In China, they decreased by 7 percent, but were up 17 percent for the full year. China, of course, is Starbucks' second home market, and results were likely dampened by the resurgence of the Delta variant, as we saw in Yum China's results just last night. Starbucks had guided for flat comps in China this quarter. Digital sales, U.S. rewards members at 24.8 million, that is up 28% year-over-year. Year. As you said, the call is underway now, CEO Kevin Johnson sounding upbeat about the quarter and also momentum for 2022 touting these results in the face of what he called, quote, never-ending business and consumer headwinds. He mentioned supply chain conditions have improved and comp momentum has sustained in the fall thanks to its beverage lineup. Also in focus, of course, labor challenges. Starbucks announcing just yesterday its plans to hike pay for workers. By summer 2022, average pay will be nearly $17 an hour. Based Based on market and tenure, the stock is lower today and up about 3% year-to-date. Back over to you. All
1: right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers. Tim, what did you make of the quarter?
4: Look, I, I love the fact that on a two year stack, it's up 11 percent in the U.S. And think about the two years they've gone through. Right? You know, I'm not that worried about the China down 9 percent when I think of the China growth. Their numbers in China aren't going to be falling. This um, is this is this is a, this is a COVID headwind. Um, this is a company. And again, look at the share price. You're down 11, 12 percent off the 52 week high. Um, all of this is stuff that I think is well priced in on supply chain and on labor. The labor is the side of this that makes you worry a little bit about the gross margins. The loyalty program is extraordinary. Again, 25 million, up another 28%. This has been a major driver for the valuation, and it should be. Uh, higher check sizes, et cetera. So look, I- I've been a long-term holder here. We've had these moments. This is not a big moment. And again, all of this stuff. You can't tell me there's one thing you just heard that wasn't in the price, in my view.
1: All right. Um wages are going to go higher. Karen, I mean, talking about margins, all of the input costs that Starbucks has have gone up, whether it be energy costs or food mm-hmm. costs or dairy, whatever it is, higher. Um, so what's your mm-hmm. take on this at a multiple of about 30 times forward?
3: Right. Well, it deserves a premium multiple, and it certainly has one. Um, I have a position. I'm kind of lukewarm on it here. I think it was you know, the China was disappointing, but explainable by COVID, of course. I think I saw they said 80% of their stores were impacted by COVID in mid August. So well, it seems to be improving in September. But I'm also concerned about China, even outside of COVID, just, you know, what's happening in the economy in China. And um, I, I still think there's sort of, you know, pressure on consumers there. So that makes me a little bit wary. They, they did sort of realign some of their sales um, it, it doesn't make a big deal, but they put the um, Latin America into the Americas or into international. Um, I, it deserves a premium. It's got a premium. I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I would look to actually sell this in favor of something else. I'm not sure what yet. Um, it's fine. Fine not good that- enough.
1: The China consumer um, question mark is is sort of a big one, Jeff. I mean, if you think about household wealth in China, it's tied very closely to real estate as well as the stock market, two markets that have gotten hammered uh, this year for various reasons. And I don't think
5: either of those things are likely to get a whole lot better. And if I look at the chart, for example, I mean, it's holding the 200-day, at least it was, But it's certainly broken that uptrend from last year. The P's come way down, but as we've said, still expensive. So you're hearing a lot of the same things, you know, cost of sales up, margin pressure, some comps light. But I actually think the risk reward, and I sort of agree with Karen here, the risk reward isn't bad. You should see support around 110, uh, and that's right where it's trading in the after hours. When you think about the China story, you know, I think it's been punished for that already. And I think we've talked about it on the show before, but you're talking about 70 percent plus U.S. revenue exposure. So in a lot of ways, it is a U.S. story. Not that China is not important, but uh, the U.S. maybe more so. You're seeing average selling price grow at a nice clip there. So it's still a good company, obviously a tremendous brand. But I would, I would focus on this current 110 level. I think if you break that in any significant way, I'd look to buy more, but not until you get to around 100, which is that pre-COVID high.
1: All right. We've got a lot more here ahead on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
6: The consumer heading for an oil slick? Not just yet. Our next guest lays out where you can find value as oil prices climb. Plus, Facebook going meta. Literally. The name change that has everyone talking. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at some of these big moves in the after-hour session. You have steel jumping more than 7% on earnings. Gilead lower by about 2%. Western Digital down by more than 10%. Take a look at our chart of the day. Short end of the yield curve. That caught our attention today. Ripping higher. You're looking at the 32-year Treasury spread. It is now the flattest it has been all year. So, Tim, what does this tell you?
4: And that's pretty incredible, especially when you think about we had that peak in yields in really March, and we've been seeing some compression, although the yield curve had steepened out um, somewhat recently. But look, in in the last three weeks, first of all, you've seen the short end of the curve. You've seen the two-year move some around 20 bips Intraday today, I think, got up near 57, closed actually below 50. But look, the flattening of the yield curve, again, 2s, 10s or 2s, 30s is the chart you're showing here. This is a dramatic reassessment of where interest rates are going. Again, we talk about this all the time. The Fed seemingly can control the short end of the curve, and it's the long end that you worry about, and also certainly is a a barometer for inflation. But this is telling you where clearly the dot plots are moving without the Fed. And and I think, ultimately, we've seen central banks, we've talked about them in the last couple of days, whether it's the Bank of Canada or the Bank of New Zealand or the the, the Brazilian Central Bank this morning, um, hiking rates and other banks around the world beating the Fed to it. I think the, the dynamics, everything that we've heard in these conference calls around systemic inflation, but labor market service inflation. Tells you why the short end is moving. Uh, Obviously, we talk about the sensitivity to banks, uh, something I think investors need to be watching.
1: But just to connect the dots a little bit, Karen, and we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but the the fact that it's flattening um, and that that spread is tight. I mean, that's basically saying the markets are anticipating higher rates in the near, near term, but not accompanied by longer term growth. Is that right? I mean, how should we how should we read this?
3: I think that's right. Or higher rates in the near term because of inflation and maybe inflation abating after that. But I think your your guess of about of it being growth is probably right. So but I don't think banks are have a you know, they're set up to be long the two year and, and, you know, long twos and short 30s. I don't think that's how they're set up. But the market perceives them to be that. And so they will trade that way. It doesn't change my view of banks at all. All right,
1: let's take a look at oil today as well, holding above 82 bucks a barrel, near a seven-year high. And if you think the oil price spike is shaking investors, or next guest, next guest says, think again. Chris Verona of Strategas is here to lay it all out. He was just ranked the number two technical analyst on Wall Street by institutional investors. So literally in the pantheon of analysts. Chris, what are you looking at?
9: Thanks, Melissa. Well, listen, I think certainly crude 60 bucks to 85 bucks over the last two months, I mean, 40 percent move in crude. I think tangential to that, it's only natural to ask what impact does that have on consumer stocks here? And that's the question we're getting from clients every day. It's what level crude or what level oil does it really start to weigh on some of these names? Now, I actually don't think that's the best question to ask. I think what we want to do is look how the market is interpreting higher oil. So I brought along some charts to try to do that. And I think the first one is a really important look here. This is the relationship between discretionary versus staples. And we equally weight this. So this is not Amazon versus Walmart. This is the average discretionary name relative to the average consumer staple. This actually has continued to work higher. So despite crude at 85, despite oil at big, you really have not seen the market get more defensive in the type of consumer stocks that are working. So this is going to be a really important guide for us. Um, So far, this is saying the consumer can handle $85 crude. So we don't know what level oil is the problem. I think this relationship will, will help answer that question over time. So far, so good there. Now, what names can we actually buy against this backdrop? We brought along uh, four that we like here. The first in the travel space, this is Marriott. Um, looking at it here over the last five years, this you know, 155 to 160 level has been major, major resistance, uh, really over the last number of years. Stock trades 160 today. I think it punches through here. It gives you a near-term target of you know, somewhere in the 190 level. I think that's achievable. You know what's really interesting about Marriott? There's 23 analysts that cover it. There's only seven buys. So I think as the stock breaks out here, you'll have to see the sell side upgrade it. Um, Best Buy is another chart that we like here. It's been in the range for 12 months, frankly. It's been stuck in this 100 to 120 range. It's at the top end of the range. I do think it'll break out here. And just look how the relative performance there has turned. So we're beginning to see a name like this. While it hasn't broken out yet, it is starting to outperform the market. We think that precedes uh, it breaking out. Uh, RL uh, is another name that we like here. The Ralph chart, chart, it bottomed uh, near 100 in July. It retested that in September. It held. We think it turns back up here. The stock trade's 125 today. I think it's on its way to 140. Those were the highs back in the first quarter. And then lastly, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about really our favorite name and our favorite group uh, in the whole sector is the autos. This is Ford. I know up a lot today. Um, that eighteen dollar level going back about ten years has been a major, major hurdle. I don't think it's ready to break out quite yet. Let it come back to the fifteen fifty, sixteen range. We think it's very viable on any pullback. Autos globally are in a bull market. So whether we look at travel or big box retail or apparel or autos, I think the message of the market is eighty-five dollar crude is not a problem yet.
1: Chris, always great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Chris Verona Strategist, Traders Choice, Dan, do you like any of these picks? Do you say poo poo to them? What's your take?
6: No, I like a lot of them. And, and congrats to him on that I, I ranking. Uh, he's a stud. Um, listen, I agree on the uh, on the Ford. It's going to take a little time, maybe a little back and fill, but there's going to be an epic breakout coming in the not so distant future. Get a little of that Tesla EV pixie dust uh, valuation on what they're doing. Um, that makes sense to me. And I also like that Marriott one that looks really good, especially if we have this pandemic in the rearview mirror anytime soon.
1: Same to you, Jeff. Which one do you like?
5: I like the I want to stay in the higher end retail space. you know we talked about this a little bit, I think a couple of weeks ago, and in terms of energy i don 't think it 's catastrophic for the consumer, but it certainly hurts the lower end. You talk about four percent of overall consumer spending, six percent for the lower end. And I think there's some skew there because the higher end is spending on on more cars and larger homes. So I think the impact of price change is going to hit that lower end more. I think around four dollars a gallon in gasoline. We're not there yet, but moving in that direction. So we talked about Amex earnings, you know, good spending volumes, good loan balances. But is that more an indication of the higher end consumer? I think maybe. So when you think about general retail gap, Urban, Kohl's, these are all stocks that have gotten killed. They're, they're cheap now, but I'd still stay away in favor of some of the higher-end retail names.
1: All right, coming up, Facebook's facelift. The social media giant changing its corporate name to Meta as it expands into the virtual metaverse. The details next. Plus, Merck moving higher on the back of a strong earnings beat. The stock jumping more than 6% today. The traders are digging in on that one next. Do not go anywhere. Fast money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook escaping reality. CEO Mark Zuckerberg announcing today the company's new corporate name will be Meta. The social media giant will begin trading under the ticker MVRS, like Metaverse. In December, the name change comes amid recent criticism of the company's apps. The stock got a 3% bump on the news, uh, but did pull back into the close, finishing the day virtually flat. Karen, does this make any difference at all
3: to you? Would, it, would a rose not smell the sweet by any other name, I think, half sarcastically? And Meta World Peace was taken by Ron Artest, so they couldn't, they couldn't do that. <laughs> nice. But I think the thing that's important is that we're going to see what they're spending there, and we're going to see the rest of the business, right? They talked about the capital spend. That was, to me, the most important thing of the call. $10 billion, I think, and then more after that. And so they're making a giant bet here. And again, I think of Mark Zuckerberg as actually a good steward of capital. So I, I, don't, I hate when they change the name and ticker. I still call Google Google. But um, I think that clarity, when we saw Alphabet do that, divide into the and get more clarity into the underlying business and the sort of more, uh, the rest of the businesses, that was helpful. And I think that will be helpful for them as well.
1: At least the ticker on Google, on Alfsi, I'm even still doing this. How many years later on Alphabet didn't change too drastically, but here we are. We're going to be typing MVRS um, into our computers, Dan, for this. But to you, does it make a difference?
6: Not not really. And, you know, Karen made a good point about steward of capital. And obviously, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is the founder of this company, and he calls all the shots here. And You know, you could argue whether he's done a good job or not, um, you know, kind of dealing with some of the problems the company has had over the last five years and really dealing with the growing pains of having an audience the size they have. You could also make the argument, though, that they actually haven't been particularly innovative. They've ridden a secular shift as far as online ads and that just the proliferation of mobile and social, um, you know, they didn't really they were unable to make a phone. A lot of their hardware things haven't gone particularly well. Oculus was all about. About this, you know what I mean? I'm just not sure that in this world of you know, this this going to be decentralized sort of metaverse, the, the way that he wants to kind of be the overlord of it, I don't think he's going to be. So to me, I think they run the risk of um, really alienating a lot of their existing customers on that old blue uh, website that they had, and maybe even the Instagram. Maybe a lot of these customers or their consumers don't want this. You know, this is not their vision of the uh, online world going forward. So to me, I I think there's risk there
1: i think that's a good point i mean some of their most popular their fastest growing apps at this point which obviously do not include facebook were acquisitions and here we have mark zuckerberg wanting to spend money on the metaverse himself tim do you have confidence that they can do it at this point
4: I, look, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't bet against them. Um, I do think there will be other leaders, and I do think the metaverse as we know it today is going to be very different tomorrow. And, and you know, doesn't necessarily have to have Facebook at the front of the line. I agree. I, I do think. Um, a lot of people that are Facebook loyalists and where the advertisers are paying a lot of money to target those folks could care less about the metaverse. in fact, I, I think that could be a lot of their platform. Maybe Instagram is different, um, but I think it 's interesting. I think on the ticker side, um, if you look at the biggest mega cap uh, tech companies in the world, they all have four letter tickers. Um, Facebook was standing alone with what most people would mm-hmm. think would be kind of a cool you know uh, two letter ticker. And and I think you know this is actually kind of interesting um, because I think if you want to analyze these things on some level, it didn't belong with the other group by having a two-letter ticker. Um, I do think this gamesmanship on names is something we've talked about. We've seen this in other industries. Uh, I think Google's reasons were very different. And you can't tell me that they're playing offense here. I think there's a lot of playing defense here on Facebook. There are social issues that they are running from, and I still believe that's a big part of this.
1: All right. Coming up, shares of Merck popping. As the pharma company reports a big beat, and one of our traders says this stock could be headed even higher. We'll bring you the trade. Plus, it's all green lights for Lucid Motors. The EV maker surging more than 30 percent as investors brace for an EV tax credit. More on that move in just a few. Fast Money is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Merck getting a healthy boost today, hitting their highest level since January 2020. The company posting a blowout quarter with strong sales of vaccines and cancer drugs. In fact, lung cancer drug Keytruda made up more than a third of the company's Q3 sales, just about $4.5 billion. Jeff, you like this one?
5: Yeah, I do. I'm sort of a breaking and investing 101 rule here, and that valuation isn't a good timing tool. But if, if you look at over history, both from a performance and valuation standpoint, Merck and a stock like Pfizer, for example, they tend to flip-flop back and forth. And up until recently, you had Pfizer outperforming Merck by something like 50%. But usually Merck trades at a premium to Pfizer, but there are these periods of valuation compression. I think we can put the chart up on the screen here but but those periods tend not to last very long so we saw it at the end of 2015 the start of 2018 and then we see it today and if you look at that period in 15 merck outperformed by 20 percent over the next year if you look at that period in 18 merck outperformed by 30 percent over the next year when comparing it to pfizer so i just think it's an interesting time right now for merck given that history you're already starting to see the move in relative outperformance i think it probably continues
1: We mentioned the importance of Keytruda, Karen, and I'm wondering if you're worried. I mean, I know seven years seems like a long time, but in seven years they lose exclusivity on Keytruda sales.
3: Yeah, in the U.S. and I think in 28 uh, international. But I think the more important thing and the more immediate thing is that we still see this as sort of a reopening trade and that you had a lot of sort of delayed visits to the doctor, and that ultimately ends up in more key true to scripts, and I think there's more room to run on that. So I'm staying long. I like Merck here. All right. Coming
1: up, options traders revving into Lucid Motors as the EV maker surges more than 30 percent today. We've got the details on that trade next. Do not go anywhere. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking to the CEO of Salesforce. Catch a full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And do not forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Point your phone at the QR code on the side of the screen and sign up. Well, shares of Lucid Motors flooring it today. The stock roaring nearly 30 percent as an EV tax credit survives President Biden's Build Back Better plan. Lucid was also the single most active ticker in the options market today, beating out the likes of Tesla, Apple and Ford. Mike Ko joins us now with a deeper dive into this action. Mike.
0: Yeah,
9: so Lucid traded more than 11 times the average daily options volume, nearly two and a half million contracts, one of the busiest days in any stock that we've actually ever seen the most active options were weekly call options. Most of those expire tomorrow, but ones that expire next week also were very busy. The November 5th 35 strike calls were among those. Over 48,000 of those traded for an average price of about $2.85 a contract. Buyers of those contracts are actually already profitable because those closed close to $4, and they're obviously betting that the stock could be higher by the end of next week as well, up at least 8% to see profits on those purchases.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Dan, do you think the EV tax credit makes a difference in the EV trade?
6: Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense that this has a fifty-seven billion dollar market cap. They basically have no revenue. And Ford, which we just talked about, you know, a company that's going to do one hundred and thirty-five billion dollars in revenue and really has a, a, a roadmap to getting to like all EVs, has a sixty-seven billion dollar market cap. Makes no sense here. So to me, you know, have at it, trade the options, have fun at it. Um, just understand, it feels like a bit of like a casino at this moment.
1: Ding, ding, ding. First have at it in the show. Glad we hit it. Um, Thank you, Mike Coe, for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Set your alarms for 5 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow morning. We've got a can't-miss interview with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen coming your way bright and early. That's on deck for Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Let's take another look, meantime, at tonight's after-hours movers. Apple and Amazon both down more than 3 percent. Still, Starbucks near the after hour session lows down almost 4 percent at this point. Western Digital down about 10 percent right now. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim.
4: Yeah, we heard about supply chain tonight. I heard about supply chain easing, and Nike is the name we heard about three weeks ago. I, I think the story is getting better there. Nike's rallying.
3: Karen. Yeah, United Rentals had great earnings and great pricing on used equipment that they sold, but don't buy it up 20. Wait, it'll be a crappy day. You'll have a chance.
1: General Mills.
5: <laughs> so PayPal, I was actually a seller on Monday, but it's down about 4.5% and up market. I'd be looking to buy here, I think 215 to 230 is the range.
1: Dan?
6: Yeah, over the last year and a half, you buy the post-earnings weakness in Twitter. It worked out now almost there, year fifty.
1: All right. Thank you all for watching. Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.